think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed. Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. Maybe Lucy's right. Of all the Charlie Browns in the world, you're the Charlie Browniest. I love that little scene there at the beginning of the Charlie Brown Christmas. Uh, Linus says, Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. Then he says, of all the Charlie Browns in the world, you're the Charlie Browniest. Maybe you're doing um, better than me this Christmas with being well-prepared and getting your ducks in a row. Uh, and maybe I'm just a little more Charlie Brownier than you are. Um, but I feel like the older I get, the harder I have to struggle against turning what's a wonderful season like Christmas into a problem. Friends, life has a way of bringing out the sort of Charlie Brown in all of us, doesn't it? I think, I think a major part of our problem is that we expect things of this world that it is unable to deliver. Pastor Tim Keller says this, if you love anything in this world more than you love God, you will crush that object under the weight of your expectations. That's a good word. It's a good word, TK. Tim and I are on a... We're so tight, he lets me call him by his initials. If you love anything in this world more than you love God, you will crush that object under the weight of your expectations. Friends, I think the truth of this statement goes further than we think. Because this problem of the crushing weight of our expectations can even mess up holidays like Christmas and turn them into a problem. Meaning if you love the holiday and the beautiful decorations and the supposedly magical moments of your kids' wide-eyed opening presents, or even a service like this where we light candles and we sing together and we experience corporate warm fuzzies, if you are seeking if you are seeking more from these sorts of moments than you are a deeper relationship with God or a love for him, then you are expecting more of this world than it can deliver. If you don't learn to let these moments point you to a greater truth about the savior of the world, then you've missed what these moments are actually designed to do which means we're in danger of missing Christmas, even as we participate in it, as fully as we know how. So this morning, friends, as a, as a helpful redirect that turns our hearts toward Jesus alone, let's study together in Luke 2 to see how, how God orchestrated the birth of a Savior who alone stands under the weight of our expectations. 
Jump in at Luke 2, starting at verse 1. Luke is very careful about how he writes. He's very intentional about how he writes. He's a doctor and historian. He cares about details. So he starts off like this. He says, verse 1, In those days, meaning in the days of all the events that preceded in chapter 1, which is likely around 6 to 4 B.C., um, yes, I said those dates right. If you're not tracking, it'll come back later and you'll make sense of that. 6 to 4 B.C. In those days, a decree went out, he says, from Caesar Augustus, who was the emperor of Rome, that all the world should be registered, meaning counted for tax purposes. You know how that works, right? Chapter, uh, verse 2. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So the emperor of Rome who at the time was beginning to actually be hailed as a political savior, that word was used about him. Don't miss that point of contrast here that Luke wants to make by drawing on that. The emperor of Rome has decreed that all of the known subjects in the Roman world were to be counted for tax purposes. So, verse 3, all went to be registered, each to his own town. And wouldn't you know it, craziest thing, this all meant that Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. This fulfills a prophecy from 700 years earlier that many didn't see coming, but that made very clear that the Messiah was to be born in lowly little Bethlehem. You'd have think with 700 years of time to wait, knowing that the Messiah was coming, there'd been some sort of like whole pigeon forge industry awaiting, right, the coming Messiah. But apparently they weren't looking, they weren't, they weren't watching. So Joseph makes this long trip, likely on foot, uh, at best maybe a donkey. Um, that's tradition, we don't really know from the text. Um, so he makes this long trek, it says, from Galilee to Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Why? Verse 5, to be registered with Mary, so it's two of them, his betrothed, and they're getting married, who was with child, and she's pregnant. Luke sets out the scene here in the first five verses uh, by pointing out that the birth of Jesus took place in a very humble and unheralded historical context. And he does so by explaining that Joseph and Mary and the baby were forced to travel to Bethlehem, which is nothing special town Israel, right? And they have to go to this little town because that's where he's from simply because Caesar, Augustus, the, the emperor of Rome, he needed their money for vacation houses. It's sort of like the equivalent of saying you'd have to walk all the way from the uh, west side of Knoxville, like about Lenore City, all the way to Greene County just to pay the wheel tax. Something about like that. So they're taxing the number of legs on Joseph's donkey here. And Luke's trying to, to communicate the idea that this, this was all taking place in very unexpected and less than ideal circumstances. Keep reading. Look at verse 6. He says, while they were there uh, at the county clerk in the courthouse annex, which isn't really next to the courthouse at all, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. So they rushed to the hospital formerly known as Laughlin. <laughs> and then Mary said, no, take me to Tacoma. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't. That's enough of the parallels to Greene County. 
If you're a visitor from out of town, I'm sorry. It's, it's insider joke Sunday. So while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And look at this in verse 7. This is a significant verse for Luke. He's wrapping up a lot of this idea of the contrasts here. He says, she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, just typical, typical pieces of cloth that you would wrap a, a normal baby in, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So there's not a place for them because there's a big race in Bristol and there's not a hotel room within 50 miles. <coughs> I figure if I can't do Greene County, I'll do Sullivan County. So it's packed in Bethlehem uh, because everybody is going back home for the census. So less than ideal circumstances here. Joseph and Mary had to make do with something like a room or, or, or maybe even a cave out back with a feeding trough for a crib. Luke is making a sharp contrast here, especially in verse 7, between the way the world works and the way God works. The way we expect things to work and the way they actually work in God's economy when he's in charge. Just think about it. Caesar's decree led Joseph and Mary and Jesus to Joseph's hometown, which, wouldn't you know, happens to be exactly where scripture had predicted 700 years prior that the savior would be born there. Meanwhile, as political savior Caesar was bilking the people to pay for his vacation homes, the true savior was being born in a place built for feeding the animals. While the emperor of Rome, the, the entire known world at the time, the, the, the empire while the emperor of Rome, Caesar, was oppressing the people for personal political gain, the head of the king of the universe was resting his head where cattle had recently fed. <laughs> Which, to get earthy for a second, is pretty gross when you think about it. Have you seen a big, ugly cow's nose? Like even if Joseph and Mary had sanitizer galore and cleaned the thing thoroughly, none of us would ever let our baby's heads sit in the feeding trough. Hopefully there was some hay or something there. It may feel a little sacrilegious to say it like that, but it makes this point that Luke's trying to draw out here. God works in ways that are very different than we expect that are very different than we expect, which is to say that God meets expectations unexpectedly. This becomes even clearer in the following verses. Here in verses 8 through 20, Luke shows how those in heaven and those on earth with ears to, with ears to listen to God, he makes clear how those in heaven and those on earth who have ears to listen to God, they take in and they respond to the news of Jesus' birth. Keep reading at verse 8 and following there. He says this, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, shepherds are not exactly powerful or well-connected uh, or even trusted people. Their testimony wasn't admissible in court, and you became a shepherd if you were born into it or if you were uh, with no other options. It was one of the lowest rungs on the economic ladder of the ancient Near East. But nonetheless, because God's in charge and not us, verse 9, 
An angel of the Lord, a messenger from God, appeared to them of all people shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. It overshadowed them. It's like God decided, okay, um, who can I pick to spread the most important news that's ever been communicated in the history of the planet? How about a few total losers with zero political and financial and worldly power? That will work perfectly. So an angel appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear, which is an appropriate response when an angel appears to you. Verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not, <laughs> which angels are always saying in the Bible because when they appear to people, they're freaked out. So he says, relax, it says, he says, she says, this angel says, relax, I'm an angel, chill out, you needn't be fearful. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now notice here that the reason to not fear is the good news. This is true in life. We could draw out a lot here, but we have to continue to make hay. So fear not, for behold, I will bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Why? Verse 11. For unto you, interesting word choice here, for unto you, speaking to the shepherds, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The good news is that the long-awaited Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, had come to them to save them from their sins. Like today. <laughs> the angel says, like right now. I'm pretty sure that's exactly how the angel said it, like today. <clears throat> so unto you, unto the shepherds, is born this day in the city of David a Savior, verse 11, who is Christ the Lord. And here's how you're going to know. Here's how you can verify. Look at the next verse here. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, which again is an unexpected thing. It likely would have struck shepherds as a little weird that the Messiah is coming to be wrapped in regular old swaddling cloths. It's not like he's wearing purple robes befitting him. He shows up in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then with no time to take all that in, suddenly, verse 13, there was with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, an entire army of angels, praising God and saying, verse 14, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those whom he, with whom he is pleased. In heaven, glory to God. On earth, peace with those who are favored by God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Notice they recognize this whole thing as coming from God, as him appearing to them. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, just as they had said. And when they saw it, when they saw it as the angel had said, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. They saw it, so they said it. They saw it, so they said it. And all who heard it 
wondered at what the shepherds, all who heard the shepherds reporting about this, wondered, they were in amazement, they were skeptical even, at what the shepherds told them. <laughs> hey, y'all, I just wanna, I'm, I'm here to let you know that God was born in a feeding trough, uh, and then of all people, uh, he entrusted the message to me. What kind of a weird plan is that? <laughs> Apparently it's God's plan. Apparently it's God's plan that works because what he does is unexpected. And here we do what we do today, sitting in these seats, friends, because his plan worked. His plan works. So despite the fact, verse 18, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Y'all are crazy. Verse 19, look at this. But Mary... Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, recognizing the work of God all over this scene. And the shepherds returned to their hometown, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They returned to their previous hometown as missionaries proclaiming the good news about Jesus. So friends, what are you expecting from Christmas? What are you expecting from this Christmas season? Are you you trying to squeeze something out of it that it cannot deliver? Have you been focused on uh, expecting warm fuzzies, decorations, presents, and all that they can offer Or are you learning to let them point you to a greater reality, friends, that in the person of Jesus Christ, that in the person of Jesus Christ alone, God is up to something far, far greater than anyone could have ever imagined. So um, our poor, depressed cartoon protagonist has been struggling all movie long with his inability to do anything right. Uh, He's been struggling with the commercialism that that seems to ruin Christmas. And he's been struggling with questions of of what this whole holiday is all about. Uh, So in this clip, we start with him at his his lowest, his Charlie Browniest, with all of his friends and even his own dog laughing at his failures to deliver on the expectations of Christmas. He can't even get a decent tree for the Christmas play he's directing. And then Linus comes in and saves the day. Check this out. I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Linus is right. I won't let all this commercialism ruin my Christmas. I'll take this little tree home and decorate it. And I'll show them it really will work in our play. it's just a movie and these are just pretend cartoon characters <clears throat> and there is no real Linus which is sad because I like Linus best well it's not the real Christmas story there's a truth here we need to hold on to during a season that can tempt us to focus on things or people or moments that can't hold the weight of our expectations we need to remember than the birth of a baby who deserved all glory but was born in a feeding trough. God was doing something far, far greater than anyone could have ever imagined. He was saving us from our sin. Going far beyond our expectations to live a perfect and sinless life, we can't. Friends, God is so holy, so beyond us, so perfect, and yet so good and loving and interested in having a forever relationship with us that he not only meets but exceeds our expectations mercifully and graciously in ways we could never expect. And a little baby who grew up perfectly and sinlessly to live the life we couldn't, to be sacrificed for us, to give us forever relationship with him. 
That's what we're here to celebrate today, friends. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we give you the praise and glory you alone deserve. We come to you as empty-handed beggars with no recourse for sin, apart from your grace and your mercy to bless us and to give us the gift of your son, Jesus, that we could never deserve. So we accept today, Lord, your invitation. Your invitation to give you the praise and glory. To name you as Lord and Savior. To repent of our sin and turn toward you as the holy, adequate and full provision in ways that uh, go far beyond uh, our expectations, our understanding, our imagination. Lord, we love you for that. And we ask that uh, that amazing truth that you've come to save us would be so firmly and deeply rooted in our hearts that our lives would be worship. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.